In consideration of our examination of ourselves in the course of uh, liturgy for preparation for Holy Communion, we consider our unworthiness in light of God's law in order to hear that much more clearly than his gospel word of absolution and forgiveness. And so as we're teaching the kids again this fall through the Ten Commandments and starting number one in class this coming week, we're already here on number five to give you that head start. So if you've missed any of the sermons uh, so far, please go back onto the website and take a look at the ones leading up to today so that you can grab one through four. But fifth commandment today, so please join with me. You shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. Have I unjustly taken the life of anyone born or unborn? Do I treat my own body as a temple of the Holy Spirit? Or do I hurt or harm it by gluttony, chemical addiction, or other abuse? Do I hate anyone? Or am I angry with anyone? Do I lose my temper or injure my neighbor by thoughts, words, or deeds? Do I hold grudges or harbor resentment? Do I ignore the plight of the helpless or my callous or genuine need? Thou shalt not murder. Well, I dare say we probably don't have many murderers in the group today, unless, of course, there's something you'd like to share with the rest of us for the sake of our comfort and uh, protection, of course. I imagine that none of you went out this last week and took the life of it. And of course, that is a very loving thing not to do. Every once in a while, I stop at a red light and I tell my wife in a little bit of a a little bit of a joking manner. I saved that man's life. There he was, just crossing in the middle of the road. And I didn't run him over today. Fantastic. Good for me. Pat myself right on the back. I saved his life. Well, of course. But of course, when Jesus takes hold of this word of the fifth commandment in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he dives a little bit deeper. And, and it's one of those really good examples of the fact that these commandments are full categories of what the Lord expects of all of us. This is not to be considered just in terms of a minimalistic approach. As long as I don't kill anybody unrighteously, then I'm okay. I haven't broken the fifth commandment. But what does our Lord do with this? Our Lord says that if you're angry with anyone, if you call anybody fool, if you call anybody a, a derogatory name, if you're angry in your heart against your brother, if you fail to help when someone is in need, now, now it starts to get a little bit more difficult to excuse myself from, from the scope of the Lord's word here. Because if I... If I start to delve into the area of, of even simple deeds that I have 
either done or not done. And if I start to delve into the realm of, of thoughts and words, now, now we're starting to get a little closer to home, aren't we? A little tougher to excuse myself now, a little tougher to stand aside or step aside as the gavel of the Lord's justice begins to fall. Am I guilty of this? One of the things that comes up particularly with the fifth commandment is, is doing all that can be done to help one's neighbor in their body and in their life. Avoiding all harm. Now, some of you have taken oaths about doing no harm. You know, for those of you in the medical field, perhaps, if you've taken a Hippocratic, Hippocratic oath, do no harm, right? Be conservative in that regard of not providing a, a treatment that's going to be worse than the disease. And that is an art, isn't it? Because there are so many things that can be done. And so the, the judgment and the wisdom that comes along with the practice of medicine, as one example, is is the treatment going to be worse than the disease itself? Is it something that can be managed more conservatively? Is there something that can be done with lifestyle change as opposed to surgery? Is there something that can be done with a simpler medication rather than a more aggressive or or so it goes? These kinds of challenges for those of you in the medical field, that's that's one thing that comes up all of time. There's a range of options, and they all have to be weighed out against perspective, bad results, perspective side effects, perspective complications. There's many times when, as I'm visiting with each of you in different situations, you have these same questions as you think about your own life and the various things that you have to weigh one thing against another. Well, there comes a point at which time the thing that might kill you in 30 years is no longer really an issue, right? Do you, do you keep taking the medication against the thing that's gonna, gonna kill you in 30 years when you reach a particular age and the thing that might kill you in five years is maybe more important to deal with. And so you have to make a choice, making a challenging choice. Because the one can't be treated while the other is being treated. And so you have to weigh options and weigh considerations. What does it mean to do no harm? And in the course of that, in the course of recognizing the frailty of life, say in that particular case, are we guiltless in all of this? And so far as we're acting our office, just as an executioner would act in their office. Yes, you are excused from liability and guilt. But don't you also sometimes go home at night and you wonder, am I making the right decisions? Am I doing everything I can? And it's very easy, very easy to have many, many sleepless nights wondering if all that can be done is being done and all that could be done is being done in the right way. Now, this isn't just the kind of thing that medical people deal with, but perhaps even those who work in the emergency services. Did I do all that could have been done, even if I did 
my duty in everything that I did? Should I have broken through that door? Or should I have waited for more support to come? Should I have called in backup sooner than I did? What kinds of choices we make? And even if we followed the book, we can still go home feeling full of questions, full of anxiety about the right choices being made. What about those of you who teach, and those of you who instruct, and those of you who learn? And you, you go through everything that you could possibly teach and everything that you could possibly do to try to prepare a student for a test, perhaps even a test that's going to be a matter of life and death for them in the future. And you can do all that you can do to prepare for them, but then at some point along the way, you may get a phone call or find a, a notice about somebody who, who didn't quite do what they were supposed to do. And you can wonder, you can wonder that they died because they didn't listen or because I forgot to make clear or if I, am I responsible in any way, shape or form? And duty would say you are not, you did your job, but then conscience, triggers that sense of guilt and Satan jumps in and magnifies it. He takes that little sense of doubt and, and blows it right up in front of our face. It's a conflagration, huge fire that, that keeps us from hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there are the real needs that are around us all the time. And the, the various debates about how to meet those needs. Not everyone is as well off as some of us are. Not everyone is as well off as any of us. And there are all kinds of reasons for that. Some of them self-imposed, some of them not self-imposed. We're all part of this great system of life. And yet the Lord has provided enough in the world for everyone. And yet we know that all of those societies that have tried to impose such distributions from outside in the state have gone downhill and not been successful. And we also know that not everybody is able to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. So what is the answer? Well, it's that debate that keeps centering on the state as the answer that's maybe in the wrong place in the first place. Maybe the Lord's answer is, as Christ moves people to generosity in their abundance, that the needs of the Lord's people will simply out of free and merry heart be supplied. That by the very work of the Lord moving among his people, that no one would be hungry. Not because somebody is extracting wealth from another at the point of a gun or a badge or the IRS, but because the Lord Jesus Christ has loved us and made us generous people. And so he reaches out in love to one another. He reaches out to care for one another. So it doesn't even have to be a matter of left or right. It can simply be a matter of the cross. It can simply be a matter of the resurrection, having its way with us and having its way in the world. That would take it out of that kind of debate at all. It doesn't have to be a, a left or a right kind of thing. It can simply be a love thing because 
God is love. When I think of all the things that could be done for the sake of my neighbor, all of the things that I either know or don't know, all of the things that I look to the left about or to the right about, or all the things that I ignore, and all the things that I should be aware of, and just just blindly go about my business because I think it's really, really important. It's really important that I put a whole lot of things on the church calendar to make myself look really busy so that I can be completely unaware of all the real needs that are really out there in the world. Right? Be that as it may, there are things happening around us of which we are either aware of and turn around and say, I am not the one to deal with that, or we simply allow ourselves to remain ignorant about the law and imagine that things are just fine, just like they are for me. In all of these cases, in all these cases, the fifth commandment comes to us and says, protect life, lift up life, let the gift of life be such a joy in your life and in your mind and in your heart that it flows right through your feet and hands so that you can't help but go running after your neighbor so that you might wash your neighbor's feet. Well, there are so many. Yes, there are. Yes, there are. And you see, the, the problem is we, we want the extent of the job to excuse us from doing nothing. We want the extent of the job to make it so that we are not guilty. We want the expanse of the job to say that, well, it takes all of us together. And since all of us together aren't doing it, I won't either. And even if we are, even if we are doing as much as we possibly think we can do, are there, are there not moments when we, we don't? And so there is no hiding from the condemnation of this command, nor really ought there to be, because the Lord is not giving us a law that he intends for us to to water down to the point where we can fulfill it. It's there to stand ahead of us. It's there to stand ahead of us. It is ideal 100%. This is holiness. This is what is good. Not just what is achievable by sinner. We'd love for it to be achievable by sinners. Because then we could say, I've done it. Wouldn't that feel good? We could take the Ten Commandments then as a nice little checklist of the things that we can accomplish to demonstrate before our Father in Heaven that we are righteous, that we are self-righteous, that we are self-righteous. And that, of course, is not, absolutely not, what the gift of the law is here to accomplish. No, instead, it is given to us so that we can be absolutely honest, both with the Lord's standard and with our fault, and with his future hope for us, based on the perfection that he created in the Garden of Eden. 
This is how it will be. But it is not how it is. Not yet. And that word is true. You and I stand condemned. But the second word is equally true. The second word that the very means by which the Lord God in heaven above affirmed every single life on this earth by becoming a babe in the main by taking on the very flesh that he calls us to serve and the very flesh by which he served us. By taking on that flesh, he has absolutely affirmed every single human creation and has called every single human being to love and trust and honor him above all things, to hear his word and clinging to it, have life. Life in his name. And that that life will respond to the work and call of the Holy Spirit to live in alignment with this law and this good word. The good news of the reign and kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ from his cross and now from the throne of heaven can have its impact on us. Well, as we pray about this commandment and consider its scope and its depth, we can see how much our Lord cherishes life and also the extent to which he was willing to go to rescue us and to create it perfect once again. That's the future hope his resurrection provides. And that's the work that his Holy Spirit does in us even now to call us to trust and hope in him above all things. So that our lives are fully in his hands. Kept safe and secure. Being freed and forgiven and set back on our feet again, our eyes are refreshed and opened, and our ears are refreshed and opened again to see and to hear the calls and cries of those who are in need. And our hearts are renewed and made flesh again instead of stony. We are given a new mind so that we creatively and freely can imagine ways that we can be of help. Even if it is simply to stay and to pray and to cry and to weep with those who cry and weep. There is a vast expanse of suffering in our world. It is overwhelming. All of the different kinds of cries for help that come either through the mail or over the TV or over the internet or, or over the, the bypass that people are walking to and fro seemingly aimlessly between one side of the highway to the other carrying their belongings. And we wonder, how is it that God's people can be of service in such a way? What is it that leads to such, such need? We pray that God, in his wisdom, will impart that same wisdom to us, and that he will guide us to exactly those decisions that will be pleasing to him. In one way or another, we will gather around the throne, and he will welcome his own, and we will be once again perfect in the image of Christ once again with all of the 
all of the benefits of a, a new creation life. Because that's the life that he cherishes. And so as we learn again from this commandment to cherish life in all of its manifestations, to serve life in all of its forms, to be protectors of life, to be loving to our neighbor, to support him in every possible need. We can live in the expanse of hope that God is calling all of us to experience that resurrection of the body, because that's his final to how he can bring that first resurrection to bear on all of life, to unite all things into Christ. May that serve us as our hope and as his promise. In Jesus' name, amen.